step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Three-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Two-time Toast of Music City Best Sports Reporter. And Glenn Blackwell. Brought to you by E610 Athletes. It's time to talk all things hockey in the Music City. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio, powered by E610 Athletes. Justin Bradford, Glidden Blackwell, Spider Jack, intern Danielle, producer Josh behind the glass, PK Subin had two points, Ron Johansson scored, Kyle Turris got an assist, and all the Facebook GMs are just crying today. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the stars are aligning, it looks like. (laughs) The stars are aligning, but not for the way that people want to hate on social media that always want to pick on certain players. There's some crickets on Facebook uh, Glenn, did you know that PK Subin is pretty decent at hockey i'm shocked i don't know are you shocked garbage garbage apparently garbage man okay we're still not over what people have said on facebook last week (laughs) (laughs) how about pk suban's goal against buffalo though where he intercepted it takes Mm -hmm. it down and drills one past carter hutton yeah that that was pk (laughs) suban showing everybody i'm pk suban yeah yeah. And I've still got this in me. Yeah, and Ryan Johansson getting the rebound. Somebody joked on Twitter, oh, yeah, well, he was trying to pass it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a beautiful goal, and it shows. I mean, the stats, he was, Ryan Johansson, when he shoots, the likelihood of him scoring is actually pretty high because he doesn't mm-hmm. shoot that often, which I wish he would do more because he has a beautiful shot. Yeah. But he's most likely going to score. And Kyle, the second line, finally. I know. that was, Finally. Yeah. We see Turris. Glanland and Smith out there doing things. And yep. then Craig Smith with a deflection off his body. And we'll take <laughs> it. We're like, he's like, what? Me? Oh, cool. And, and how about <laughs> Mikael Glanland with two great defensive plays mm-hmm. as well? One right in the blue paint, and then another one a deflection on a shot that was going into a wide open empty net. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was a 3 2 game. But at least in, in what we saw in that victory over Buffalo, there were some signs of what we've been waiting for. Signs of some depth scoring. Yep. Signs of the right players getting it together and yep. and really contributing. Pecorine, and this is a great article that Michael Wade, our analytics reporter, wrote on Penalty Box here to the report cards, which was Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. Mm. By the way, did you know that is actually a grammatically correct sentence? Really? Yes. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Google it. Okay. Look I'm going to do that after the You're show. You're going to have to look it up. The report cards, Pecorine played an average game, and the Predators won. Yeah. That's big, because usually Pecorine has to play stellar for the Predators to win, and he didn't. And that's okay, because the team in front of him helped him win the game. That's that's a good sign. We've been asking for for a very long time. It is, it is. <laughs> that and was my biggest takeaway of the game, was that we're finally in that second line, seeing that action. Yeah. We're seeing a little bit of chemistry now with that, and that depth that we're finally starting to see. Mm-hmm. When you have Wayne Simmons and Brian Boyle in the fourth line, you're you're deep yeah. and that second line is starting to really circulate so finally we saw a little bit out of Kyle Turris last night yeah, so and then, I think that they're yeah. headed in the right direction and then that you have the third line getting back getting the band back together of Sissons mm-hmm. Benito and Watson Watson decent game back with the Predators mm-hmm. he had two good games with Milwaukee uh, but Watson with a, a tremendous block shot in the third period is some good role players and I'm not trying to oversell 
this win because there's still concerns. Obviously, there's still concerns, things we want to see them to improve upon. But you know what? We might as well praise the good that we did see. Yeah. And there were some good things there, too, that we saw in terms of like just coursing what they're producing. Sp- Spider-Jack, you got the stats in front of you. Just run, give us a rundown of the lines and what they're producing in terms of shots and possession. So uh, the third line with Sissons, Benino, and Watson, uh, Corsi 4 percentage was 75 the Jofa line had 60.61%. Yarn Crow Boyle and Simmons had 56.25%. And the second line, which we've all been waiting on, had <laughs> 54.55%. And it's interesting because the Granlin line was phenomenal in terms of generating high danger chances mm-hmm. and overall had the highest Corsi 4 percentage. On the flip side, they didn't play too great a defense. Um, but it's like all offensive zone starts, anyways. Pretty much, that's right. Eleven <laughs> offensive. Them. I mean, they had eleven <laughs> offensive zone starts, but you know, Craig Smith scored a goal with his face, so I'm not really going to complain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very true. See, so the, in terms of what we're trying to see, with some of the the gelling of these lines, I like that now. If you can get Wayne Simmons going, I think that's like the next step because we're obviously obviously seeing Glenland trying to get things going. He's contributing in ways that aren't always on the score sheet. That's fine. I'm not going to pick on his game. Wayne Simmons has some work to do and still in terms of, yeah, he has a goal and he's been screening, but I think Brian Boyle has done that more. But now if you can get that fourth line really churning, and when I say churning, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to have speed, but wearing down the opposition, that's when it really is going to, to do its job and how you're rotating those lines throughout there. Now, P.K. Subban, what are some of those stats on him, Jack? So he played very well with the first and third line. His Corsi 4 percentage was 92.99% or 93%. And <laughs> with the third line, it was 100%. Which And they, he's played five-plus minutes with both lines. So, okay. um in terms of the second line, he wasn't that great with them, but the second line was generating chances by themselves. Yeah, they're not a defensive line anyway, so, mm-hmm. so that's okay. That's right. Just score goals. Yeah, just score. So let me make sure I heard this correct. P.K. Subban is good at hockey. Yeah, he's he good. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's above mediocre. Yeah, he's, he's above <laughs> mediocre. So so we're, we're looking at that, and that's important to see. Now, my next question is, who wants to win the Central Division? Because it's— yeah. <laughs> I don't, under, I don't get this, how Winnipeg could have ran away if they really wanted to, and they keep flubbing everything up. The Predators have had their chances, but they're 6-3-1, and one, even though it doesn't feel like they're 6-3-1 and one mm-hmm. in their last 10. The Predators overall have a pretty good record that they're getting points. Yeah, yeah they've had a, some of those blips have been big blips, like the Columbus game, which, okay. But they're 6-3-1 and one in their last 10. Then St. Louis, 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. But, uh, by the way, uh, go Hawks. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, that hurt to say. Sound like the rain. So st- we, we're not going to really find out things until the end of the season. In terms of seeding, now the Predators are guaranteed to not finish lower than third. That means no home ice in the first round. Yep. And no home, home ice, most likely, in, in the second round with how we're seeing things play out. But it is any one of those three teams' division to, to, to lose yeah. <laughs> right now. Now, luckily for the Predators, I mean, they're tied with Winnipeg right now. There isn't a game in hand. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg, remember, at, at some point we had three or four games in hand on the Predators, it seemed. They're finally evened up. Yeah, they had quite a few back-to-backs, I believe. Yeah, and Winnipeg will win. If they win out, they'll win based on row, which is yeah. regulation overtime wins. Nashville would not. But look at the strength of schedule. Nashville has Vancouver and Chicago to finish it up. Not not saying they need to guarantee those wins, but obviously it's going to help the case. Whereas Winnipeg is playing a couple more desperate teams. So it is imperative that the Predators win both of those. And even if 
if if they win those, St. Louis could be like, hello, family, win all the rest of their games and win the division. This is That's crazy. That's crazy. It's like this excitement factor. They they want to leave everyone on their toes until the very, very yeah. end. Yeah. Can you imagine St. Louis, the Blues, who were dead last in no. January? In no. January. I mean, that's a narrative for sure, but I don't, it is. I don't like to imagine And that. if there is a team, and I know some folks have tweeted about it, if there is a team would not want the Predators to face the first round, for me it would be the Blues, just because of Jordan Bennington mm-hmm. and how he's just been able to lock Lights things out. down. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's been lights out, and they're they're clicking in the right cylinders. They're riding the type of wave that is the good wave to ride going into the playoffs because they haven't slowed down much. Mm-hmm. They really haven't. Whereas the Predators, remember, they're riding high their first year in a Peter Laviolette. They slowed down going into the playoffs, and then a backup goalie beat them in the yeah. first round. It's yeah. just weird things happen in sports. I'd rather the Predators play Winnipeg in the first round if that's going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah, with the way that Winnipeg's playing right now, yes. But even if Winnipeg was playing at their best, I feel like it's that time again for me to say – that I would want them, if they have to go through them anyway, if they are the best and they have to go through them anyway, and you win the first round, one, that's a huge confidence booster. And second of all, you've already knocked out your biggest threat. And just like with Chicago, I remember saying the same thing. I want them to face them, and then they, they swept them. So, yeah. I mean. Bring it on. I know. I mean, let's just <laughs> let's do let, it. The chips, let the chips fall where they may, but we'll see. But yeah, Mountain St. Louis can be <laughs> <laughs> so, with somebody's me. ready for playoffs. Oh, uh, playoffs! <laughs> I I am ready for playoffs. I am very much ready for it. It seems like we're just kind of waiting right now. But I mean, look at all these other teams that kind of know who they're playing already. Yeah, it's only two games left, but we're really not going to know the division winner until the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. So there's so much scoreboard watching is going to be going on. Uh, and in terms of scoreboard watching, playoffs, things like that, wanted to touch on this before we have to go to break as well. So we all know how exciting it is in downtown Nashville during playoffs, right? outdoor watch parties, things like that. Lots of people come to downtown Nashville. There's been a thi- there was so much talk with locals here and people that have been living here for a long period of time that have seen Nashville change and don't want it to lose its charm. That is so important to me, as, is the charm of Nashville. And what I've been seeing so much lately is our city losing its little bit of charm. Mm. Closed sidewalks, they're not, no one's paying, they're all, they're all rushing for one big event that's going on and looking at only dollar signs. So my challenge to you, Nashville, is to don't don't lose your charm. Know what makes Nashville a special city through the playoffs, through every event that we have here. Remember what makes us special, why people loved seeing these different events through playoffs, through CMA Fest, through all these different things that bring people to Nashville, to not lose that charm. It is so important to me because I'm seeing so many things right now. We already know Nashville is not a very walkable city. This is a major problem that needs to be fixed. But sidewalks keep getting shut down in downtown Nashville. A major inconvenience to people that live and work and breathe and every day in downtown Nashville. We can't re- we can't forget the people that live here that make Nashville thrive. Okay, yes, it's a tourist driven town, but we have people that live here, that breathe here, that that contribute hey. to the city mm-hmm. in so many different ways that we have to make sure you don't lose its charm. Keep Nashville Nashville. You can grow and you can grow in the right way, but let's be smart about how we do this. Okay, because it's it's getting very frustrating to see some things changing. And I know a lot of people hate change. I like change. I like good change. I want to see the city grow and I want to see the culture continue to grow. And people love the city of Nashville, love Music City, love the Predators, love the Tennessee Titans, love all the things that sports happen in Nashville and come here and experience our city. But I don't want it to lose its charm. That's very important to me. That's not that's not something I want anybody to, to forget either. So remember, 
Don't lose your charm, Nashville. Okay, up next, we're going to talk college hockey, prospects, draft, free agents, Fabro, Pitlick, and more with Chris Peters of ESPN. Coming up on Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, powered by E610 Athletes. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, Spider Jack, intern Danielle, producer Josh. Got a full studio again here, folks. We're going to switch gears from talking about the Preds. Let's talk some prospects on college hockey and all things with the expert on this, Chris Peters of ESPN. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We always appreciate your insights. So let's let's start with the Frozen Four and kind of how we got there because it's always interesting to see this and obviously so many NHL prospects are, are playing college hockey and everything. But before we get to the Frozen Four, interesting with St. Cloud, the American International getting that win in the first round, just what does it mean for college hockey to have a team like that getting a win, especially the, the number one seed like St. Cloud going down like they did? Yeah, well, certainly uh... – provide some drama and some entertainment. I mean, there was, there was a lot of uh, attention paid. I mean, and if, if you told people that there was a school called American international and they had a division (laughs) one hockey team, uh, a lot of people wouldn't even know that, but uh, a huge credit to Eric Lang and the program that he's built there. I mean, and they they really do have an international flavor. I believe half the, half the roster is European. Um, You know, they've, they've got, uh, even have a couple Canadians they let in too, so they're really uh, they're a really good team, um, you know. And they they they've built their program up. Eric Ling uh, is suddenly a hot coaching candidate uh, for for a couple of these openings that are out there in college hockey right now, because of the job that he did there. And you know, I, I know there are some Division One coaches that thought that nobody could win at that school, um, and sure enough, they win and knock off St. Cloud State. And you know, I I had seen St. Cloud the week before and seen him a few times in the year and I thought that you know it was going to be really hard for anybody to beat them and AIC just absolutely shut them down so impressive impressive win for them and it's great to see that too just in terms of changing things up all the time in college hockey to see programs grow like that and so now look at the Frozen Four Minnesota Duluth I mean it's their third straight appearance in the Frozen Four like this and would you say that they're the favorites or is it one of the other threes that you think has a a better shot at this they've obviously faced some some adversity as well but they, they continue to just keep on proving people wrong yeah, I mean they're they're a, a fantastic team and, and certainly deserving of being here and you know the defending national champion and uh, have one of the best decors in the country uh, led by Mikey Anderson and uh, Dylan Sandberg and Scott Prunovich uh, guys that are are kind of uh, they may not be familiar names to hockey fans but I think a lot of people are going to know those names uh, sooner or later. Uh, Mikey Anderson was the captain of the, the most recent U.S. national junior team too, so. Um, you know that that's uh, that's a, a heck of a team. They've got a great goalie in Hunter Shepard, who who has played his best hockey down the stretch here. Um, really liked him last time I saw him play, which was uh, back at the uh, NCHC uh, Frozen Faceoff, where they won. They actually beat St. Cloud in the final in that one. Really good, uh, good game between good, two good hockey teams. I think, yeah, you know, they're the favorite for sure. Uh, but at the same time, I think that the field is very, very even in the Frozen Four and and. You know they've got a tough matchup right out the gate with with Providence, and and I think they they're teams that play very similar styles, and that's going to be really interesting to see kind of how they uh, 
you know, which team is able to get the upper hand and what could amount to a chess match on, on, on the ice. And uh, one last question about Frozen Four. I mean, right now it seems like it's college free agent signing season. Uh, we see whenever teams go out, you see free agents and, and draft picks doing a lot of signings. Are there any players that would be free agents on any of these four teams that people might keep an eye out that may sign uh, it, it, or maybe in the offseason be targets for, for teams to pick up? Yeah, there there are several. For for UMD, I think Hunter Shepard, the goalie. Um, you know, I believe he's about six foot, six foot one, which you know that's not necessarily the size the teams are looking for. Uh, but if you you win a national championship, you're a team back there, uh, multiple years in a row uh, to the Frozen Four, you're going to get attention. I think uh, Jacob Pritchard, who's a, a graduate transfer for for UMass, uh, dynamic player, has a lot of offensive skill. He transferred from uh, St. Lawrence, so he could play one more season with uh, Greg Carvel. The, the head coach that left St. Lawrence to go to UMass. Um, very exciting player there. Uh, Nick Wolf from Minnesota Duluth is another guy, uh, the defensive defenseman, physical guy, plays a lot with uh, uh, Scott Perunovic, who's more of the offensive-minded guy, so he plays a, a very, very heavy game. Um, and then also Josh Wilkins, who's leading scorer for Providence. I think that he is – it's not certain that he'll come out of school after this year. Um, maybe a national championship would change his mind, but that's a guy that I think teams will keep a close eye on because of the success that he's had this season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've seen so many free agents sign. I mean, teams are, are running out of contracts to give out. So uh, these guys that are playing late into the season might not have as many opportunities. Uh, no kidding. And again, Chris Peters, ESPN, join us to talk about college hockey prospects and more. And another one of those college hockey guys, Elliot Freeman tweeted out that Nashville is apparently close to signing Lucas Craggs out of Bowling Green State University. Uh, led the league in penalty minutes, but also had 25 points in 35 games and apparently had five game-winning goals. Do you know anything about him or about his game and what you should be able to tell people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's uh, he's an interesting player. I mean, the penalty minutes, he not only leads the league, he, leads, he led the nation this year. Um, <laughs> and he, he, uh, he was uh, pretty... Uh, you know, he's obviously a physical player, an energy player. I think that, you know, more than likely he's at organizational depth. I think that, the, that that's one of the things with these college free agents. You see so many get contracts. And a lot of times it's teams that are, are you know, they see something and they're like, well, let's give it a shot. We have the contract to give. It's very cheap to do it. You know, let's give them an opportunity. And then if nothing else, they're going to help our American Hockey League team, which is often the case. And I think with Craigs, you're you're kind of hoping that, you know, if he if he hits his top, he's you know probably a fourth or you know third or fourth line player, fourth line most likely, uh, physical presence. But you know he's not a huge guy, but he plays a you know a heavy style game. He's got some snarl to him, and and he does have some offensive touch. I think he plays with a lot of jump too and a lot of energy, uh, which which teams are going to like. They're going to like that on ice work ethic and grind. And um, you know if if he, if he makes the Predators at some point, I think it's as a depth player, but at, at, you know. He's no worse than AHL help, and and that's actually a good thing to have for a lot of teams. And, Chris, I want to switch gears just a little bit. You recently put out your top 50 prospects for the NHL draft this year. So when you're looking at the talent in the pool this year in comparison to last year's pool, how do the two compare? And even if you kind of want to narrow it down just to the top 20 this year, how do they compare to the pool last year? Yeah, it, I think it's pretty tight to, to what last year was, and I, I thought last year was an exceptional year. I think the the top, really probably the top eighteen or so, are, are comparable. I think that the top five is 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 very close to last year's. I think you know we had a, a an unbelievable talent to, as far as defensemen go with Rasmus Dahlin last year, 
This year, it's much more geared towards forwards, though. Bowen Byram is a really good offensive defenseman from the WHL, who I think a lot of teams are are really having to raise up on their boards, and he's going to be much higher on my next ranking as well, at least at this point, um, based on the way that he's performed down the stretch here. So, uh, But you look at the top, and it's Jack Hughes and Capo Caco, and I think that those two are better are better one-twos at this point than last year's one-two with Svechnikov and Dahlin just in terms of impact and potential. Um, those are two guys that I think could, could you know, help NHL teams pretty quickly. Um, and, and it's very interesting to see that the, the gap between those two guys seems to be narrowing, and it has been narrowing. I think there are still a lot of teams that lean Jack Hughes because of the center factor and the dynamic factor, but a lot of different things to come into play there. And we can't have you on without talking about the Preds' latest addition in Dante Fabro. Um, from the little bit that I'm seeing, I like the way he plays with ease. It's a similar trait that I have always appreciated in Roman Yossi. He's very patient with his game. It appears that he doesn't get very flustered. So I kind of just wanted to get your general take on his addition to this team and what do you feel like he's going to bring to them, especially at this point in the season? Yeah, well, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head there with, with just the poise and the control that he plays with. And, and he's patient and he's He's just a smart hockey player, and really, through throughout his career, it, it's always been evident that that he that he sees the game at a pace different than a lot of players. I think that he's he, he can absorb pressure. He's not afraid to deliver pressure. You know, he he plays any way you kind of need him to play. And we've seen him at, with Canadian national teams and with BU, and he's always one of those guys that you could put him out there in any situation. Now. The Predators are in a great position because they have the depth, and the, the, that's why I think having a guy like Fabro in the system is going to help because he has the versatility to, to kind of do whatever you need him to do. And so if it is as a, as a bottom-pairing defenseman, I think, his, you know, his top, I, I think he can top out as a top-four defenseman down the line. So eventually, you know, maybe he graduates that role. But for me, he's always been a player that, that the poise has stood out, the hockey sense has stood out. Um, and he's dealt with injuries in the past. He's dealt with some, you know, th- things like that and, and had some tough seasons at Boston University. But he was never the cause of, that, of the, the hardship at BU because he was, you knew what you were going to get game in, game out from him. And again, Chris Peters of ESPN joining us. And hey, he already had his welcome to the NHL moment in his very first game uh, when he caught an edge and face planted, uh, leading to a Boone Jenner goal, which is great to get that out of the way. It has to happen at some point uh, in those games. So, so. Continuing on with prospects and everything, too, this is one of those things that always gets discussed around this time of year, and then in the offseason when we get to August, it's about those other types of college players, those that are continuing with college and, and going to free agency after that, too. And I know it ticks off a lot of people when it happens, being the Predators got burned with it with, with Jimmy Vesey, and it looks like Carolina dealing with it with Adam Fox. And some people call it a loophole, but it's not. It's it's written this way. So just what is your opinion on this Adam Fox situation uh, with Carolina, and do you think it's something that should be changed in the future in the CBA to where players can do this or it needs to be more you know given back to teams or do you think it's going to help it's going to reduce players getting drafted from the NCAA yeah it's it's an interesting uh it's kind of an interesting situation it's something we talk about you know every year this time and 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 my position really hasn't changed because I think the alternative to the four-year limit is you know that team keeps that player's rights in perpetuity and whether they want him or not and that's not a good situation to have sure they could trade the rights or do a, do a variety of different things that you know, helps them. Um, but I still think that that's not a, a good situation. It's why the NHL and the NHLPA have agreed on this specific wording of the rule. Uh, it gives that team four years to make their pitch to this player. It also gives that player the, the freedom to decide to, to go to school for four years if that's really what they want to do. 
and sometimes they're going to sign like Dylan Sakura last year uh, was went went all four years and, and decided to sign with the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, that's those are the things that kind of happen. Um, you know, but you have those four years, and if you can't get the player within those four years, well, too bad. And I think, you know, should there be some compensation? Maybe, but how many times do we see a seventh round draft pick blossom into something, you know, amazing like a Caden Primo for the for the uh, for the Montreal Canadiens? And you know, they, they did manage to get him signed. And you know, do you really offer compensation for a seventh round draft pick? I'm not really sure because you're you're that's kind of like a, a a magic bean anyway. So it's kind of one of those things where you're not really sure what you should do. But I, I think that the system that we have now works. I don't think it's going to cause teams to, to shy away from drafting college players. What it has done is it has made them sign them earlier than maybe they should at certain times when before they're ready for the AHL. Or, you know, we've seen it happen with some guys. They come out right after their freshman year and it's too much too soon and they either have to go back to junior. Um, you know, they have fewer, fewer options. So, so I think that what we have right now allows the flexibility for teams to, to, to get that time to sign that player. It allows the player the freedom to go to four years. And if after, the, you know, they're also the one thing that I think is important to note in this is that those players are giving up for, you know, at least three years of earning potential uh, if they decide to stay. So they're, they're taking a financial hit typically because most of these guys, you look at the contracts as time goes on, not all of them are going to make, uh, you know, the, the high, high-end contracts over those years. So they're giving up a significant portion of money that they could have right away in order to pick their spot. So there, there are sacrifices to be made, and I, the, way it, the way it is right now works for me. I know it doesn't work for everybody, and you certainly understand the hurt feelings, but I, I think what we have now is the appropriate thing to have. I mean, as always, you make very good points, and you explain it the way that hopefully helps people understand it even more. So, Chris, as always, we truly appreciate your insight. You are you are our expert on all this, and thank you so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always good to be with you. Absolutely, folks. Chris Peters, ESPN. He is the expert on prospects, the draft, everything like that. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris M. Peters. He has so much knowledge. And, hey, for the fourth straight year, Penalty Box Radio is going to be at the NHL draft this year in Vancouver. So we cannot wait to be there covering that this June after the Predators win the Stanley Cup, right? See, all right. Up next, we're going to talk all things women's hockey. We have Brent Feldman. He's a sports agent with AGM Sports uh, to talk about everything that's going on with the NWHL, the CWHL folding, and Team USA and the battle there for equality still because there's so much stuff with hockey we need to talk about on the other side, too. That's Penalty Box Radio here on Nashville's Best Sports Talk, ESPN 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, powered by E610 Athletes. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, Butterjack intern Danielle, producer Josh behind the glass. And now let's switch gears from college hockey and prospects. Let's talk some of women's hockey. And join us on the line right now, we have Brent Feldman with AGM Sports. Brent, welcome to the show. Hey, how are y'all doing tonight? Uh, doing all right, man. Thanks for joining us to talk about this. So you, you sent me an article uh, today that the New York Times put out, so which is huge. I mean, when the New York Times is approaching this as well with what's going on. We all know what happened a couple years ago with Team USA, the women's team, fighting for more equality, but there are still issues and problems going on with this in, in terms of everything going on. Just what is your stance and your take on some of the struggles that they're still facing right now? I'll tell you what, women's soccer um, is probably the best parallel to look at. And 
when Abby Wambach and Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy um, and, and Brandy Chastain had their fight uh, in the early 90s, it took them almost a decade to really get to a point where it was really rolling. And with USA Hockey, uh, many of the same things that happened with U.S. soccer um, continues on with USA Hockey. Um, USA Hockey, um, they honestly could be doing a, a lot better job, um, and they're not. And um, there's either one of three reasons that I think that they're not quite doing it right now. One is um, if they ultimately um, – if they oh, – sorry, <laughs> I apologize. Someone just – Step, stepped in here. Um, if, if, if ultimately um, USA Hockey wants to draw more eyeballs, um, all they need to do is throw the women out there and have press conferences and do the, the simple things that, uh, that one would want for more publicity and attention, and they're not doing it. And Brant, currently, as sad as this is, the reality is, is that when these women are asked by fans where they can buy their jerseys, they're actually having to give them instructions on how to customize and purchase a man's jersey. I mean, this is actually how the article mentioned how Hillary Knight got replicas of her jersey for her family. So where do you think the gap is here and how can they move forward making these types of things available? Because these are the fans that are paying to play, you know, to go to these games. You know, I, I think the first thing I would I would ultimately do um, is anyone who is a registered USA hockey member, if you're playing it at Ford Ice Arena uh, or, or, or any other place anywhere in the country, you're paying 50 to $55 to become a USA hockey member. Um, you're actually, you, you're, you're, part of the, you're, you're part of the group that USA hockey is supposed to serve. So one of the things that you could ultimately do is send an email or phone call to USA hockey. They're in Colorado Springs. Um, their information is at usahockey.com. Um, use your voice. I mean, it's it's no different than any other situation where if if, if fans um, use their voice, um, things will change. But a lot of times, a lot of the things are swept under the rug, and, and it's only because of tension from the New York Times or, or any, uh, any of the other media outlets that people actually know about these things. So you as fans, you have the opportunity to say something. Um, you know, this year you guys had a, a big event in Nashville um, mm-hmm. where uh, – where David Poyle was inducted into the, into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, that was a nice event. I was at that event. Um, and, you know, it, it, you have the ability to use your voice in Smashville um, or anywhere else in the country to, to try and force change. And if they don't want to change, then maybe the leadership needs to go. Oh, no, you make a good point there, too. And and speaking of other big events in Nashville, I mean, the NWHL All-Star Game was here, and, and there's so much news with the CWHL folding due to ec- the way economically it was just it was built. And you've represented your fair share of, of professional women hockey players, uh, and you still represent uh, Megan Duggan and so many different other ones there, too. Just to get your opinion on this and how this is going, and obviously we all know that uh, one league is going to be the best one, and this is obviously maybe not the best way that it's going about, but... What is it going to take for there to be a successful professional women's hockey league in North America? Infrastructure is the first thing that I would ultimately tell you. Um, if you think of, of any sports league or any, any franchise, it starts with having great infrastructure. Um, the NWHL may be the last man standing right now, but they have a lot of issues as well. They don't have infrastructure. One thing that, that I would say about, you know, there are certain things that the CWHL I think did, did well, um, there's things that they did not so well. 
um, on, on an NWHL side, certainly they make a lot of mistakes as well. And uh, just because they're the last man standing right now doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best option. Um, ultimately, how will women's hockey work the best? If you look at the National Women's Soccer League, right now you have four franchises that are owned by MLS teams. In a sense, obviously, you have the same thing in the NWHL. Um, but you know, Portland will get 14,000 um, on average for women's soccer. Um, Salt Lake City is getting very good attendance. Orlando and Houston, they're getting pretty decent attendance. Not, a same, not the same as their MLS counterparts. Um, the Buffalo Buttes, I would say, is probably the model for what you want. Um, but you need true hockey operations. You need sales. You need marketing. You need all of the infrastructure of things between the, the, that, that, you, that you take for granted when you go to a Predators game, um, that everything is done in place. That, that's not the case in the NWHL. It wasn't the case in the CWHL. And there needs to be some sort of hybrid. Um, but, you know, this doesn't fall in the National Hockey League. The NHL may be a, a part of the solution, but part of the solution has to include Hockey Canada and USA Hockey. Um, if you Google, or if any of your listeners Google USA Hockey, USHL, and NHL, you'll see in 2017 mm-hmm. that those three entities came together to make the USHL a stronger entity. USA Hockey has never done anything like that for the NWHL or the CWHL. And that's where all their national team players are training, as well as postgraduate players who have played NCAA college hockey, as well as some international athletes. So ultimately, I understand it's economics, but I also understand that you need to be fair to both genders. And if you're only going to be fair to one gender, you know, maybe maybe you need to reconsider what you're doing. Well, that's excellent points made right there. Brant, we appreciate your insight and for joining us just here to give us that perspective because it's it's always a unique viewpoint, especially one that you have because you've been so deep and ingrained uh, in this sport for so long. So we really appreciate your time tonight. Well, you know what? Consider this. The NWHL has never had a full, a, 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 a full television broadcast of any of their games mm-hmm. over their four years. Um, they've, they've done streaming. The CWHL had the Clarkson Cup final, which aired on three television networks, um, TVA in French, Sportsnet in, in, in Canada, English, and NHL Network, as well as regular season games. But their business model isn't the same as what the NWHL is, which was for profit. Um, I, I, can, I can only tell you that um, looking forward right now, um, I believe that the U.S. women's national team players and the Canadian women's national team players will speak and rise up together and try and help find the best solution that they can possibly find um, and go from there. No, absolutely. And you can tell that they already have a united front on Twitter just with what we saw with tweets and reactions to media questions and everything too. So hopefully this united front will cause a lot more progress because we certainly want to see it here. There's a lot of support for women's hockey here in Nashville. We saw that with just the all-star game and people that may not know the whole situation, but they love women's hockey, they love the entertainment. And, and hey, the women are the ones that are winning. They're the team that are winning. They're winning, <laughs> and support yeah, a winning I product. Hope, I hope that I hope that this week that your 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 fans across the penalty box radio network will watch the games on NHL Network. Um, they're going to be on early, mm-hmm. um, but you'll be able to watch all the games. It's it's a Canadian feed, but it's running on NHL Network. There's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of vignettes that the uh, women's national team filmed this week while they're in New York and at at NHL Network at studios in Secaucus, New Jersey. So. You know, stay tuned, follow NHL Network on Twitter and social media. You'll see a bunch of those videos, 
and uh, hopefully you can watch some uh, really great hockey uh, in in Espo, Finland. There we go. Well, well, Brant, again, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time, buddy. Okay, thanks a lot. Have fun. Thank you, folks. That is Brant Feldman. He is the uh, he's with AGM Sports. Is represented so many of the different professional women hockey players, and what he's speaking of right there is the World Championships taking place. And for me, that's the thing. You know, <laughs> the USA women win. And it always comes down to with money and sports and everything is you want to support a winning product, right? And with USA Hockey and everything there, I'm a member of USA Hockey, so I fully have the right to complain and voice everything because I pay my membership dues every year, everything. Support a winning product. Mm -hmm. The the USA women are out there winning gold medals. They're winning silver medals. They're winning championships, okay? And, hey, nothing against the men's side, but what have you done for me lately? Yeah. They're not winning. You want, you want to put your money where, where you're supporting a winning product? Let them have jerseys. Dear God, they can't, you can't even buy a jersey, a T-shirt with the name pitiful. on it you want to support? It's pitiful. That's awful. Yep. That is, that is ridiculous. That is awful. We should be able to do that and to support these athletes as well. Because, yeah, they have, pro- they have professional women's hockey, but they're getting paid a pittance. Most of those women have day jobs Yeah, as and it's well. really hard to imagine any sport in, like, any sport. <laughs> professional. In the, in the, yeah, any professional <laughs> sport in the United States of America, and you cannot get a jersey. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. And they sold out games. People say, well, they're not selling games. Yeah. The Minnesota Whitecaps sold out all and their you games. Know, <laughs> the people who are asking for those jerseys are the people who are paying to go to those games. Yeah. And they're I saw, sold out. I saw an idiotic comment as well on Twitter. <laughs> well, it's all just parents and friends going to the games. No, it's not. Oh. So you're saying <laughs> 20 people have, you know, 9,000. Oh, this is why I <laughs> can't read stuff. Woo-wee. <laughs> Dumb things on Twitter. All right. Well, really appreciate that, folks. There's so much more to come because, I mean, there, there's so much to learn just about. Everything going on with the CWHL, the NWHL, and women's hockey and everything, too. But just we, we want to make sure you all voice your opinions, make sure the right people are, are hearing about it. And you know what? Talk to media. You know, demand coverage of things you want to see more of. I know a lot of people in Nashville, they want an expansion team. Maybe not there yet, but you show demand, then they're going to listen to you, okay? All right, up next, we have one dumb thing said on Preds Facebook I want to cover and Twitter questions. That's all coming up next year on Pelody Box here, too. You're listening to Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 1025 The Game. I really hope Robbie Stanley doesn't have a brand new girlfriend. That'd be really awkward. <laughs> Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, Spider Jack, Intern Danielle, Bruce Josh Hutton. This is Penalty Box Radio, powered by E16 Athletes. Thanks for joining us tonight. We've talked everything. We have. This radio show has everything. Predators All. talk. All the things. College hockey, <laughs> women's hockey, <laughs> and dumb things said on Facebook. <gasps> this is Ben Stefan. Okay. <laughs> Here we go, folks. I found a dumb thing said on Predator's Facebook. Are you ready for this one? Of course. Have you ever microanalyzed a player's reaction to a goal? Like, asking you right now. Have you ever done that? Well, yeah, like when you watch them celebrate. Yeah. Have you overanalyzed it? Well, I mean, I've watched it. I've watched it. Oh, he flicked his eye. You know, his hand did this. No. Watching the match, I just got the impression that the Jofa line has some issue because they don't celebrate as usual. And even in the bench, Arvi and Joey were barely watching, <laughs> barely watched themselves. I was referring more to the fact that Arvi barely talked to Joey and didn't even congratulate him after he scored. Oh, wow. So that's uh, what you mean by like. Doing I it. smell drama. No. <laughs> no. No. Stop it. Right. 
Stop it right That's now. That's how rumors get started. Stop it. Oh, they my gosh. They score so much anyways. It's like celebrating becomes old anyways. Yay, you got another one. <laughs> Woo. What's new? Oh, my gosh, folks. <laughs> oh, he didn't smile. The nerve. Or a next time it'll be a, a half a smile. Half a smile. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Yoey. So sorry. Okay. Want to thank intern Danielle for some of these stats, too, before we get to our questions. Interesting things in the power play. So she went and calculated. Dear God, you filled out a lot of pages, Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) So from October 4th to December 31st, the power play percentage was 15%. Mm. That's awful. From January to February, it was even more awful at 7%. Yikes. Now, since then, though, March, April... One game mm-hmm. in April. But March and April, they have improved. Remember, there was a coaching change. Dan Muse took over the power play. Mm-hmm. And while it may not seem like it, it has improved with 17%. Okay. Getting better. It's going up. It's going up. That's all up. you can ask for. <laughs> I mean, you can it's only, going up from seven. You can only go <laughs> up from go where up. they were. <laughs> from rock bottom, you can only go up from there. <laughs> but getting better, and I am. I'm seeing better puck movement. Mm-hmm. seeing lots of little things. Uh, so I'm not saying <laughs> that it's the best. It obviously has lots of work to be done on that for them to, for everybody to be like, Yay! But let's let's see what happens there. So great work researching that, intern Danielle. Appreciate you. Okay, let's get to our Twitter questions. This one comes from intern Allie. We obviously miss her. She's been doing so much work lately. If the Preds players were fruits, who would be what fruit? This is such an Allie question. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Glenn. Okay, so obviously Pecorine has to be a rhubarb because oh rhubarbs gosh. are long and thin. So <laughs> Rene the rhubarb. <laughs> Um, Grandland would be a grapefruit. Grandland the grapefruit. Right. <laughs> maybe a maybe a Watson the watermelon. <laughs> Jack would you ban the sopadilla? Oh, I don't oh know. My, the list what? goes on. Jack. <laughs> it's, Roman Yossi is totally a cantaloupe. Why is Cal- he? Callie Yarncroke is a cantaloupe. Cali wait, wait, cantaloupe. wait! I want to hear Jack's reason. What, why is Roman Yossi a cantaloupe? <laughs> because when you have cantaloupe, you're so mellow, and Roman Yossi is just so mellow. All smooth the skater. Time. Yeah, he's just smooth. It's just. Like, when you eat the cantaloupe, it's like, wow, that's some really good cantaloupe. And when you watch the Predators play, it's like, wow, that's some really good Roman Yossi things going on right now. <laughs> okay. Wow. That was really deep. Thanks that for was... sticking with us through this. <laughs> <laughs> sticking, sticking with us, folks. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, for me, I'm going to go Forsberg and Arvidsson or Lime and Coconut because you put them together oh, and you drink them both up. There you go. <laughs> oh, nice. See, I can contribute to silliness, Joe Hanson, the jackfruit. Okay, I'm done. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's enough out of you. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Here, Here's, oh my gosh. Coonskin Preds asks, how many goals will Salamaki have to score before people start giving him the credit he deserves? Look, Salamaki's not meant to be a goal, goal scorer. Uh, with him, I look at him as a depth forward. If you're going to play Salamaki, it's on the fourth line. And to play him six or seven minutes a game, that's totally fine. It's just... There are so many other role players in this team now that I think produce more than what Salamaki has. Yes, I've liked his energy. Uh, he can throw some nasty hits. He's just injury prone too, and that's that sucks for him. Uh, for lack of a better phrase, it does. It just stinks for for Mika Salamaki that all the injuries he's had to deal with. Uh, but I don't necessarily see him making the lineup with a with all the moves the Predators have made. And so, speaking of that, let's get right into another question so we can answer as many of these as we can. What do you see as your lineup? We have multiple people ask about this. Your lineup for Game One of the Stanley Cup playoffs, obviously Jofa. We all agree yeah. on Jofa, right? Right. Second line, so we can fly like, through this. I feel like last night's was a good example for me. It really was. Like yep. I feel like that lineup could walk into the playoffs, and I'd feel more confident. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Turris, Glenland, and Smith. Smith, mm-hmm. and the third line of Sissons, Watson, Benino. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, and fourth line of Boyle, oh. 
and what yarn croak and, and simmons simmons, simmons. Yeah. i'm okay with that yeah i liked that i i do like that and i i really hope they just don't shut keep shuffling the lines let's build some chemistry especially the you know the top line's gonna stay the same i want to see the second line stay the same like that third line that fourth mm-hmm. line you can interchange some pieces in the next two games see what really is working but i really do like that because your own croak provides the speed obviously and then you have the grit <laughs> with Boyle and Simmons out there too. And in terms of defense, I I, I do like Cam. He's Fabro. It's an upgrade over Matt Irwin. And I think, and well, I don't want to say nothing against because Fabro is just going to be a better defenseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, mm-hmm. I, and he's showing those qualities already, and that's what you want to see. And I want to put everything on him. He's being protected, which is fine. Protect him. That's what you do with the third pair. You're supposed to protect the third pair who yep. they go out against. But he's already got some great hockey sense. He and does. I can and see that. Yeah, he's already got that. And then pairing him with the veteran, I think you can't really you can't really lose there. So. Right. No. No. Yeah. So let's. We have probably time for one more question. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Rob S. Martin, 9, asked, which predator survived Thanos' snap? I think Pecorine had to be one because he's an original, and the original right. Avengers did survive the I snap. I don't even know what a Thanos is, snap is, so. Oh. Oh. Sorry. That's at Rebecca Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness I'll leave this gracious. question to the pros. Yeah, Pecorine <laughs> definitely survived it. Tourist did. Rene the Rhubarb. No, Tourist did not. <laughs> Tourist did not survive. Uh, Yossi did. Yossi, uh, I don't think Ellis did. I don't think Ellis did, no. Ellis is like Rocket Raccoon. Arvidsson, the first line, maybe minus Forsberg, because when Peter Quill You have to died, avenge somebody. Right. When Peter yeah. Quill died, I was like, oh, yeah. no. Oh, my God, he died. Spoiler. No. <laughs> Anyways, I got my tickets for Endgame. I'm very excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in for the craziness. Tony Box Radio. More <laughs> podcast coverage and everything. We'll have a comprehensive series preview from Cutler Klein whenever we find out who the Predators are playing in the first round. All the playoff coverage you need. And, hey, we're going to start talking about that next week on Penalty Box Radio. For producer Josh, intern Danielle, Spider Jack Glenn Blackwell. This is Justin Bradford. Thanks for listening to Penalty Box Radio on Nashville's best sports talk, ESPN 1025 The Game.